One of the things that uh, Melinda and I have really uh, grown fond of doing is that we like to go somewhere, sit, and just watch people. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that or not, but it can be very humorous at times. You can, you can really see what's going on in people's minds, or at least you can figure out or try to think about what they're thinking. I, I love to do that. I love to, to figure out, okay, are they, are they in an argument? Are they just really intense about their shopping? You know, is there a financial problem? Is there a health problem? I really try to get into their heads. And what I've come to figure out is that I'm at least 98, 90% right. When I <laughs> now, the truth is that um, with adults, it's kind of hard to tell. Kind of hard to tell. And then, now, kids are a different story. I'm talking little kids, two, three years old. They're a different story in that, uh, you know, for them... Um, they don't know yet that they're supposed to mask what they do. You know, they're supposed to hide it. They don't know that yet. They haven't been trained. Adults, we've already gotten that. People aren't supposed to be able to figure out. They're supposed to think everything's fine, even when we're falling apart. But, but kids don't know that, and so they're just themselves. They just have a really good time. As a result of being the age I am and having already gone through the time when we raised our daughter and now getting to see our grandson grow, uh, it's a little bit easier on us as, as grandparents looking back and watching things that are happening. Uh, some people consider this to be a little bit crazy, a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit morbid, but, but I enjoy watching things that kids are doing that... Uh, that typically cause parents a lot of panic. Uh, you know, for example, in a restaurant, a really nice restaurant, you, you're sitting near a couple that has their young child there, and everything's going well, and then all of a sudden the kid just absolutely loses his mind. There's no reason, no rhyme or reason to it. There's no explanation. The child just all of a sudden goes bats and starts crying out loud and screaming, No! I don't want that. No. You know how it is. Uh, I enjoy watching that. And, and, and I, I, guess, I guess to a large extent, and because I've been there and I know the frustration, if anything, you know, my heart goes out to the parents. Uh, but being on the other side now, I understand that this isn't as big of a deal as parents think it is in that moment. For those of you who have little children, you'll get to this place as well. You'll get to the place where you understand it's not really that big a deal. Yes, there may be those around you who don't have children or, or they only had that perfect child, you know, and therefore they don't understand somebody else's child acting out. But the rest of us get it. We get it. We absolutely know what's going on. And yes, you want to use that as a teaching moment and you want to try to help your child to mature and grow through that. But uh, for the most part, I just, I find it a little bit comical. Uh, I love to watch those that it really bothers. You know? <laughs> I also find it interesting to watch children playing and and again, especially the younger ones, two, three years old, that they don't know exactly the way you're supposed to behave. You know, they're just doing what kids do. And they'll get into this really selfish mode. No, that's mine. And they'll take something away from the other child. 
Um, while I know it is disturbing for parents, I know that it's, uh, it's awkward when there's another child involved of another parent and you're trying to smooth things over and you're trying to teach your child all at the same time. I know that. I know it's frustrating. But uh, being on the other side of it, to me, it's just a little bit comical. I, I love watching it because I know it's just life. It's just life for the kids. They need to go through that. They need to go through that process. They need to have you teach them. They need to have you say, no, that's not acceptable. You can't do that. You, you can't go and take something from someone else. You've got to learn to share. Can't be selfish. They need to know that. They need to feel what it is to have something taken from them. They need to feel that, that feeling, that pain, that that loss so that they in turn don't want to do that to someone else. But yes, it is just a growing process. It's, a, it's just something that comes with time and teaching. What I don't find as comical is when it's an older child, say 8, 9, 10, still exhibiting the same characteristics, you know, still doing the same thing. By that time, you know, yes, there's still selfishness, but they've grown and matured and the parents have taught them. And, and as a result, they know a little bit more about what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do. I find it even sadder when it is an adult that's doing that. And yes, it still happens. There's still adults that... Unfortunately, we're still human. We still have this old nature that wants to bubble up. And there are adults that they haven't grown through that yet. They haven't matured. And it, to me, it's just pitiful. It's sad to watch an adult living with such selfishness in their lives. I can tell you that there's one more step here that I find even sadder. And that's when the adult is also a Christian. I mean, you just think about it. For those of us who have experienced what Jason and the worship team, the choir was leading us through this morning, the, the blessing of God's unselfishness, the, the blessing of Christ's unselfishness, that He would go to the cross and die on our account, that he would literally pay the price of our sin. That he would sacrifice his life. He would shed his blood for us. We've experienced that unselfishness. And we're called to be like Christ. And yet, for some of us, we have a more difficult time in this area. And maybe it's just in one area of our lives. Maybe it's in several areas that we hold on to selfishness. Maybe it's our entire life. You know, Maybe there's someone here that... That this is you. you. You know it. You don't have to wonder. You know it. It's just you. I find that so sad and so pitiful because we have experienced the extreme opposite of selfishness from Christ. And as a result, we ought to, of all people, be those people who are most generous. Those people who are most giving. Those people who are most sharing. And yet, sometimes that's not the case, right? Sometimes. The Apostle Paul speaks very clearly to this. Our text verse is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul is very specific in what he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. 
Okay, now understand what he's saying here. There's no flexibility in what he's saying. It's not as if he's saying, okay, well, listen, we're all human. We all have this in our lives. We've all got some selfishness still there. So as a result of having this selfishness in our lives, we want to minimize that to the extent we're able. And then we want to capitalize on the times when we're not acting selfishly. No, Paul doesn't allow any room for this whatsoever. This is a very forcible phrase he uses, do nothing. No room for flexibility. In the life of a believer, there is no room for selfishness, period. Paul's saying, do nothing in your life. Not just, well, okay, got a little place over here. This, this is just me. This is just for me over here. The Apostle Paul is very clear that this has no place in the life of a believer. Those of us who have experienced the goodness and the unselfishness of our Savior ought to be the first ones who are living a life that is unselfish. He says, do nothing of selfish ambition. The ambition, this, this desire, earnest desire to, to achieve or to build a distinction about ourselves whether it be in power, in honor, in fame, in wealth. And we have a willingness inside of us to do whatever it takes to accomplish that. Regardless of who we have to step on, who we have to push down, who we have to badmouth, regardless of what it takes, the selfish ambition builds up to where it says it's okay, it's acceptable, it's okay. And yet the Apostle Paul says, no, it's not. It's not okay. Nothing. Do nothing. So then, the commandment of God is laid out very clearly. Uh, the direction of God is laid out very clearly for us. If then we can look into our lives and we can find an area or areas of selfishness, then we have to understand that we are living in stark contrast to the Word of God and in stark contrast to the will of God. Uh, please understand, as a result of the previous two studies that I've taught here, I know it's been a couple of weeks, but if you think back, we were talking about the will of God and how important it was that we dwell in the will of God, that we live inside the boundaries of God's will for our lives. And when we get outside those boundaries, it becomes very, very dangerous for us. And so he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out, not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This morning, I want us to examine this, this concept, this, this wrongful lifestyle of selfishness. And I want to do so through asking three questions. Asking and then answering three questions. And I believe by the time we're finished, we're going to come to a place where we understand what selfishness is, we understand how it affects our lives, and we understand what we need to do to rid our lives of it. Okay, that's the direction we want to go today. So number one, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. 
Write this down. Question number one is simply this. Well, what is it? What is it? Okay, what is selfishness? I think it's a logical place to start so that we all end up on the same page. We all have the same mindset going in. Uh, We aren't, some of us thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal. And the rest of us thinking, oh, no, it's a huge deal. We just all come to a meeting place of what is it? Here it is. Here it is. If you'd like to write this definition down, I think it would be beneficial for you. Selfishness is the attitude of being concerned with one's own interests above the interests of others. Selfishness is that attitude of being more concerned with my own interest as opposed to the interest of other people. Now, why is that problematic? Because the Apostle Paul here says, let each of you, in verse 4, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's problematic because Jesus said, the great commandment is that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. In other words, there is one that should be loved more than we love ourselves. We should love God above the way we love ourselves. And then he said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor even as you love yourself. So then we find that there's one plane that we love higher than we love ourselves, and that is God. And there's another plane where everyone else fits. It's not that they're scattered in categories. Well, this group is not worthy of my love to the extent that I love myself, and therefore I love them less. This is the person who's been mean to me, who's been hateful to me. This is the person who's, who's tried to get my job or try to keep me pushed down at work. And this is the person who's been really kind to me, and therefore I love them as much as I love myself. But everybody else kind of falls beneath. No. Christ lays it out very clearly for us. There's two planes. There's a plane in which we love God, and there's a plane in which we love ourselves and everyone else. But the problem is that selfishness causes us to be more concerned with ourselves. He talks about selfish conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit from selfish conceit. Conceit can be translated vanity or arrogance. It refers to one who has an overly high opinion of himself. So then if I think myself to be more valuable, more important, more significant than someone else, then I naturally am going to put all of my efforts into making myself happy. But if on the other hand, as the Apostle Paul says, I love everyone in the same manner, or as Jesus said rather, I love everyone in the same manner in which I love myself, then all of a sudden there's no room for that. There's no opportunity for my selfishness, for me to exalt myself above others. And you may listen to that and say, okay, but what's the big deal? I mean, really, why is that such a big deal to me? Why? Why does it even matter? Yeah, I've got a little selfishness, or I've got a lot of selfishness in my life, but really, why is that so important? Well, then let's come to the second question, and I think this is a very important place to go next. Number two, just simply ask, well, how can it affect me? How can selfishness affect my life? Okay, let's just get down to the nitty-gritty. Okay, God says it, that ought to be enough, but really I'd like to know more. If I'm going to live a life of selfishness, how is that going to affect my life? How is that going to to work against me or for me? How are we going to go this way? 
certainly the list I'm going to give you is not inclusive, but it will involve a good number, five things, that, that will show us very clearly the path that selfishness takes. It's number one, or letter A on your, on your study guide, says simply this, selfishness will cause you to doubt God. Selfishness will cause you to doubt God. Psalm 78, 18, talking about the children of Israel after they've come out of slavery, they've left Egypt, they're now wandering in the wilderness. It says, And they, the people of Israel, tempted God in their heart by asking food according to their desire. Now that doesn't sound like such a big deal on the surface, and yet it really is. Because what he's saying here is that the children of Israel came to the place to where they thought that they deserved more than what God was giving them. They felt that they deserved to be fed lavishly. That they, they ought to be cared for in greater ways than the way God was taking care of them. And what a sad turn of events. God had delivered them from slavery. He brought them out of a land where they were treated horribly. And now was providing for them in a desert, in places that the people thought it's not even possible, making water come out of a rock to water them, you know. And yet instead of being satisfied with what God was giving them, they thought themselves to be so important. They thought themselves to be so valuable that it wasn't enough. God, you've got to do better than this. Otherwise, we're just going to go back to Egypt. God, it doesn't seem that you can provide for us in a way we feel we need to be provided. And therefore, we're just going to leave here and we're going to go back to the people of Egypt because there we had all these other foods, all these delicacies that we got to feast on. It's a very sad turn of events because the children of Israel got to the place to where they did not feel God could adequately provide for them. They began to doubt God's ability. And the truth is that when we get to this place to where we have an overly high opinion of ourselves, when we elevate ourselves to something that is far beyond what God intends for us, then we get to the place to where we think, God, you need to be doing more for me, or else I just need to be looking out for myself. And we begin to doubt God. What a very dangerous place that, that lands us. We begin to doubt God. Let her be. It will also affect me because selfishness will destroy friendships. Selfishness will destroy friendships. Selfishness or this empty conceit that he's talking about is often expressed by building myself up while tearing someone else down. I mean, the truth is, selfishness comes out of insecurity. And so my insecurity says that I've got to make everyone believe that I'm better than I really am. And the only way to do that is by belittling those that are around me. If I make them not seem so good, if I make them not seem so important, then all of a sudden I can appear to be better than what I really am. And so this selfishness will begin to work on my relationships. It will begin to deteriorate them and destroy them from within. And it's not long until letter C Selfishness will cause isolation and loneliness. Selfishness will cause isolation and loneliness. Galatians chapter 5 says that this, this destruction of friendships uh, is a work of the flesh. 
And Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. So there's two aspects to this. Number one, I began to, to seek my own desires, and therefore I push everybody else away. I, I don't want to hear their problems. I don't want to hear their difficulties because it may cause me to do something that I don't want to do because I want to save everything I have for myself. Just a small example, next week, Easter. Big day, big day. When we'll have two services, we'll have a 9 o'clock service and a 10.30 service. We need people who will come to the early service and then will serve in the second service. At the first part of the service, work in the parking lots, working uh, with our greeters and helping people find seats and things. We need people to do that. But I can tell you that there are some who, who are selfish in their mind. They're saying, I don't want to do that. You know what? That's going to take an extra 20 minutes out of my day or an extra 30 minutes out of my day. I don't want to be caught up in that because I really want to invest that time in myself. Now, I know that's not always the case. There are times when you've got company with you. You've got friends that came, and thank you so much for inviting them. And they're here with you, and you need to leave with them. That's perfectly fine. But I'm talking about those to whom this applies. We know what's going on. There's this isolation process that's taking place where I'm pulling myself away from everyone else because of the fact that I don't want to be involved. I don't want to serve. I don't want to be one who's helping with their kids or who's helping in the nursery or the children's ministry, youth or young adults, whatever the case may be. I don't want to be engaged because I'm looking out for myself. I'm only taking care of number one. Unfortunately, that's the American mentality. Look out for number one. Got to take care of number one. And what, a, what a very sad and lonely place that takes us to. Letter D, you want to hear one that's even worse. This isolation from individuals then becomes an isolation from God because selfishness hinders prayer. Selfishness hinders prayer. James is very clear about this. James 4.3 he said, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. And how is that? Because you want to spend it on your own passions. You see, we get to this place in our minds where we justify the way we pray. We justify the thought that, that somehow what I'm asking God for is really a good thing. When God is looking at our prayers, He knows the motives and intents of our heart. He knows what's going on, and He sees what's really behind it. You don't want this to help other people. You don't want that in order to be able to reach more people for Christ. You don't want that to have a platform to share Jesus. You want that for yourself. God knows the selfishness inside of us. God knows what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. And as a result, God says, I'm not listening to that. I'm not going to have it. You see, somehow we get in our thoughts that we can elevate ourselves to a position higher than we should be. We can elevate ourselves to a place that's even equal or above God in our own thinking. And God says, I'm not going to help you do that. I'm not going to help you accomplish something that will be self-destructive. I'm not going to help you accomplish something that's going to destroy your relationship with other people. And I'm not going to help you do, do something that will destroy our relationship. And on top of that, I'm certainly not going to allow you and help you do something that's going to rob me of my glory. So as a result, our prayer is hindered. 
But then there's one more, letter E. Selfishness will for some even cause you to reject Jesus. Selfishness, selfishness will for some even cause you to reject Jesus. Here we're not talking about people who are part of the family of God. Uh, certainly I believe that selfishness, if we allow it to go unchecked, uh, can, can bring us to that point to where we're not taking a stand for Christ, where we're more concerned about our own possessions, our own wealth building, our own toys, our own bank accounts, our own power, our own prestige. I believe that can very clearly happen. But here we're talking about someone who does not know Jesus Christ. But because of their selfishness, even though they've been drawn to a relationship with Christ, they still repel that. Listen to what Jesus said when talking to a young man that was very wealthy. He asked Jesus, okay, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, then go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Went away sorrowful. I can't give up what I have. I'm not willing to, to throw away what I have just to come to Christ. And so as a result, the selfishness caused this young man, if nothing changed in his life, to spend eternity in hell. Eternity in the lake of fire. What a sad, sad picture. So then as we look at these things and we understand the reality of them, that selfishness is self-destructive. That it is dangerous. That it is harmful. That it, it will destroy relationships. And, and it will even cause some to reject Jesus Christ. Then the final question, and I think is also a very obvious question to ask. Well, what can I do in order to change? What can I do in order to change. What, what can I do in my life to rid my life of selfishness? Four thoughts. Again, this is not an inclusive list. But will certainly get us on the right path. Number one, what, what, what do I need? I need humility. I need humility. I need to humble myself before God. And I need to humble myself before people. This is an incredible way to combat selfishness in my life. Because selfishness is all about me. Selfishness is about my overinflated ego. Selfishness is about being seen as better and more important and more powerful than I really am. That's selfishness. And so to combat that, what I have to do is humble myself. Humble myself. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself in the way in which the natural man wants to assume ourselves to be. But instead, look at yourself in light of Jesus Christ. Look at yourself in light of, of God the Father. Compare yourself not with someone else who may or may not be on the same scale as you in your opinion, but compare yourself with Jesus Christ. What was Jesus Christ? There's perfection. There's power. There's authority. There's wealth. 
So when I compare myself to him, I understand that I really am nothing. Really am nothing. Except by the grace of God, except for the kindness of God, who, who raised me from death to life, who has forgiven my sin, who has given me eternity in heaven, who has given me the right to be called a child of God, except for what He has done on my behalf, I am nothing. And so I begin to see myself in light of who I really, really am. What do I need? I need humility. Letter B, I need prayer. I need prayer. I need to be praying as if this all depends on God. That's part of the humbling process, right? It's part of humility when I come to the place where I recognize my need of God in my life. God, I've got this issue. I've got this problem with selfishness. I've got this problem with pride. And I need you to work. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 119.36. In his prayer, he said, Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. God, I need you. I need you working in my life. Letter C, what do I need? I need love. I need genuine Christ-like love. I need the love of God dwelling within me. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. If I'm devoted to you, if I have your best interest in my heart, if I'm concerned about you on an equal level of myself, if I think of you as more important than I think of myself, there is no way for me to harbor selfishness in my life. Can't be done. Why? Because, once again, I've turned my thoughts outward. It's not about me. It's about, it's about you. I'm more devoted to you, to your outcome, to what's best for you than I am to myself. And as a result, selfishness begins to fade. Selfishness begins to leave my life. One more thought. And I, I didn't really know how best to word this. Uh, so, you, so once I say it, you may think, well, that's, that's badly worded, and, and it probably is. But I just wrote down two words, proper investing. Proper investing. Letter D, proper investing. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that I, I get my head on straight as to where I really want my treasure to be. It, it is possible for me to make investments in the here and now. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with me building a bank account. Proverbs talks about... The ant preparing for the future. And the, the ant is admonished as one who works hard. There's nothing wrong with us doing that. But there is something wrong with us turning that inward to where all of our investment is in ourselves, To where we're not reaching beyond. God has called us to be people who look out for one another. He's called us to be people who look for the needs of others. And we work to help as, we're been, as we've been prospered. 
And so God calls us to make investments. I can, I can take my money, I can take my possessions, and I can work to build it here. But the truth is, when I leave this life, every bit of it's staying behind. So it's benefited me for a period of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 100 years, whatever the case may be. But then I've got all of eternity to which that which I've invested will help me in no way. Nothing. Or I can understand that there's a way to lay up treasure in heaven. I can begin to invest in the proper way. I can begin to put, put away something that is going to be there forever in glory. And how do I do that? Well, he tells us in verses 3 and 4, he says, In humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's one way of accomplishing that. That I begin investing in other people. I begin pouring my time into other people. I begin pouring my, my abilities into other people. I begin pouring my resources into other people. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. In other words, God blesses in greater ways those who give as opposed to those who receive. There's nothing wrong with being receivers at time, right? We all need it. But the way God works in a church family is that He benefits us maybe at different times so that we're capable of helping other people in their time of need. And so we look for opportunities to spread the, front, front, uh, the fame of Jesus Christ both here and around the world. We look for opportunities to make much of Jesus Christ. And we do so through our time, through our abilities, through our treasures. Because we want others to have the same benefit of knowing our Savior as we have enjoyed. The truth of the matter is, people pay attention to what we are all the time. People that are wondering if what we have to offer is something valuable or not, aren't just concerned how we act on Sundays. They want to know, well, how do they act during the week? Is it really a significant thing to them? Is it really important to them? Or is this just one of those one day a week deals? And so if we really want to see lives change, if we really want to see hearts given to Jesus Christ, then we've got to be real throughout the whole week. And part of that is becoming like Jesus Christ. In that we remove the sin of selfishness, of pride, of greed from our lives. And here's the neat thing. While it does benefit everyone else, benefits others, it also benefits us. And we're also the ones who receive the blessings of God through doing what God wants, through being in God's will, even in this area of life. So what do we do with this information? 
Man, I think first of all, we have to examine our lives. Okay, is there selfishness in my life? And if I find an area or areas of selfishness in my life, then I've got to understand how that complicates my life. I've got to understand how that affects my life. And I need to confess that to God as sin. And then I need to do, as the Bible says, I need to repent of it. I need to turn away from it. I determine that's not Christ-like. It has no place in my life. And therefore, I'm turning away from it. I want to behave like Jesus Christ.